Welcome to all of you to our 2.30 service and uh, great to be together as we continue our series on the biggest gifts this Christmas. And I trust that all of you are enjoying the build up to Christmas. Amen. And um, want to make sure that you take note for the 5 o'clock and 7 p.m. service. We've got a Christmas concert. How many of you coming out for that tonight? I want to encourage as many of you to come out for that. Christmas concert, 5 p.m., 7 p.m. this evening. We've got some wonderful guests uh, from the States and also here from the, from the country coming. Uh, Freddie Rodriguez and his band and also Rachel Kerr. Uh, they're going to be with us for the 5 and 7 p.m. So get your friends out, get your family out uh, for those Christmas concerts. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to James 1, verse 16 to 18. James 1, verse 16 to 18. And to kick off this uh, topic today, I just want you to fasten your eyes to the screen. We're just going to watch a two, three minute video just to kick us off on this topic. Okay. Extended delay slightly there. Okay, no, here we go. Go. Tech team, you might need to restart that for us if you can. And a little bit of volume. Maximize the volume. All right. Okay. Not too much happening. If somebody can signal, signal to me when that's actually ready to go with some volume, that would be great. But we're looking at James 1, verses 16 to 18. So let's look at uh, your pages together. It says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Wonderful portion of scripture that we're going to look at today. This whole month, we're looking at this series of God's best gifts. And of course, it's so fitting for this Christmas season that we are in. But just for these next few moments together, I'd like to unpack this scripture here in James, these three verses. Uh, it's very important also to understand the context of what is taking place here in the church at this time. Now I'm told that now we're ready for the video, so let's give it a second try. Go for it.
stuff. Did you enjoy that? And so we're looking, just in these next few minutes that we've got together, we're looking at uh, one, James 1, uh, verses 16 to 18. And so as I was saying before, it's important that we know the context of what is taking place in the church at this time. James, in the book of James, he has written a lot about trials and, and testings and temptations. It's a big theme. And it was important for those believers who had been surprised uh, by the weight of the cross, they'd been surprised by the hostility of the world to the gospel and the great persecution that was taking place. But James says, don't be deceived. Now, why did he say that? Well, James is writing to people who are struggling. Some in small ways, some are struggling in in bigger ways. Uh, Even in this time of year, this can be a time with all the stuff that's going on, this still can be quite a lonely time uh, for some people during Christmas season. But in James, it seems like the people's lives are not going the way that they would want them to go, and they've been wrestling with what it means to be Christians in in the midst of all these difficulties. Anybody been there before? And so this is something that can relate to us. And so those times sometimes when we think, where is God? Or maybe tempted to even think, you go, God, why did you make me in the first place? And um, James knows that when we are in these trials, we are tempted to be double-minded about God. But James comes along and he's reminding them um, that these difficulties, these trials, and these challenges are testing our faith. There is a temptation sometimes in us to think wrongly about God. There is sometimes a temptation for us to think that the trials and the temptations that we go through are are all God's fault. Sometimes it makes us question the nature and the character of God. It's easy to be deceived. This is why James is saying don't be deceived. It's easy sometimes to, to believe in these misconceptions about God's nature and character that don't really line up with what he says about, uh, about himself in his own word. Today, sometimes people have many different ideas about God, that he's angry all the time. Some people believe that he's always in a bad mood, or perhaps that God is into making people suffer, and sometimes, you know, always wanting to punish someone when they're out of line. But James encourages them by reminding them that God is not like that at all, as we've just seen in the screen on the video. He's a generous giver, amen? He's a generous giver. He's ready to give to all. He is unfailingly generous, and he will always act according to his nature and his character. He will always act according to his nature and character, no matter what situation we might find ourselves in. James tells us that the God who gives is a God who is not hidden from us. Isn't that good news? He's not a God who is far away, but he is one who is, who is, is near, and he's always true to his word. But look at the scripture that we're looking at. Verse 17, he says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. From where? Is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What a powerful statement that James brings there. Now, I want you to consider all of the gifts that you have ever been given, those blessings, sometimes those blessings that you've been given over Christmas time and those blessings and gifts that you get given for your birthday. But more than that, I want you to think about the other blessings that God has given, like the the gift of life, the opportunity to, to breathe fresh air into your lungs every day, 
this body that you've been given to, to live in, eyes and ears to, to see and hear, the gift of creation itself, you know, the things like the, the blue skies above, the mountains, the oceans, the fields, the most amazing views of creation, the, uh, the basic things like the food we eat and the, and the water we drink, health and energy, parents who love you, family and friends, and education, your job. All these different things are gifts that God has given. They did not come to you by chance. They came from above. That's what James is talking about. These many blessings that we often take for granted come from above. And when we consider all of these things that God has given us, something within us has to say, hasn't God been good to me? Remember when I was at school, we used to sing this song, and my boys sing it at primary school now. All those, you know, many years later, all things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, and you can sing it out, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. James wants us to think about the greatness of God. He wants us to think how great he is, all the things that he has done, these wonderful gifts that he has given us. In other words, we haven't earned these gifts, they cannot be earned by going to a particular school or belonging to a certain group of people. They've come unconditionally. And because God, by nature, is a giver. The Bible teaches that man, by nature, are takers. But God, by nature, is a giver. Man, by nature, is selfish. Man is always saying, give me, give me, give me. But it's God's nature to give. And when Christians, of course, become more godly, they become better givers. And here James is saying regarding these gifts, they've come to you from above. In other words, he has personally and lovingly given them to you. He is the source of every good gift. Every good thing comes from his hands. Why? Because he loves to give. He loves to give to us. And no matter how hard you look out there, nobody can ever outgive God. Amen? God is profound in his giving. Now these words, looking at a bit more depth, these words that James uses, good, the word good and perfect, they simply mean that they are of great benefit. God has never given a gift that could not be used for great benefit. One Greek study Bible says that the word good, you know, it has this idea of excelling in any respect. It means distinguished, it's useful, it's um, beneficial, advantageous, it's uh, acceptable to God. The general sense is that God is the author of all good. Amen. Everything that is good on the earth can be traced back to him. And the word perfect means that um, it's that which is brought to its end. It's, it's finished. It's complete. So perfect also means that there, that there is nothing evil that comes from God. That's what James is showing us. If you look up the, 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 word, the meaning of the word gift, it has two different meanings. The word gift, the first means the act of giving. And the second is the, 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 the thing that is actually given or the object that is actually given. In other words, God wants us to fix our attentions on the giver of the gift as well as the actual gift given. Amen? The giver of the gift and the actual gift itself. According to John Wesley, who was the, the great great Methodist preacher in the 17th century, he said that a good gift is whatever tends to holiness, whereas a perfect gift is whatever tends to eternity, to glory. 
So it might be today that every good gift is temporary, whereas every perfect gift is eternal. So, for example, the cars that we drive, the homes that we live in, uh, you know, the foods that we eat, the clothes that we wear, the money that we have might be called good gifts that God has given us. But James' whole point is this in regards to gifts, that there is a starting point in his giving. It comes from above. It comes from the top. It comes from heaven itself, from the beginning. He is the source of all this giving. And there is a gift that far exceeds any other gift that has ever been given from above. And it's during this season, of course, that we are reminded of the greatest gift of all. The gift that was given to humanity more than 2,000 years ago. This is a gift that there really are no words to describe. The greatest gift that will ever be given is the gift of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us is a, a son is given. The best gift is God's only begotten son. And the Old Testament writers were constantly talking about this. That Jesus the Messiah was coming, God's begotten Son. Or perhaps John 3.16, that famous verse that we refer to. For God uh, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us so much. He loved you so much. He's in love with you so much that he gave us the best thing that he had, his own Son, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul put it this way, he loved me and gave himself for me, Galatians 2.20. So God became man. Jesus came onto our planet, of course, in bodily form. He lived and he dwelled among us. He lived a perfect, pure, spotless life. But he had one purpose to, to accomplish. That was to give his life as a ransom for many. To pay for every sin. He went to Calvary. He died on a cross for, for humanity. And when he said on that cross, it is finished, a, a way was made up for salvation for every one of us. Isn't that good news? The best gift that we have received in Christ is the gift of salvation. This is what James is talking about. It's the gift of eternal life. And, and who and what paid the, this price for this gift, it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. After all, gifts have to be paid for. Anybody notice that so far? In your giving, you're preparing to get people the best gifts that you can. But when it comes to eternal life, the price that was paid for us was Jesus on the cross. Jesus paid it. Next, moving along for, through these verses, James says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down. What's he saying? Good and perfect gifts come from above and they come down. These are gifts from heaven. Listen to what the Gospel of John says. Jesus said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. If you just read the, the first word from our senior minister, Colin, in Revival Times, I encourage you to get a copy of that. It's, his first word is entitled, He Came Down. It talks about how God and His great rescue mission to humanity came down. He came down from heaven to earth. We serve, it says in the article, that we serve a down-to-earth God. So He knows firsthand 
our earthly life, with all of its trials and its sorrow, sometimes our ups and downs. Why does he know that? Because Jesus came down and he experienced it for himself. God entered his creation in human, physical, bodily form. He entered history. Nothing would ever be the same again. When Jesus descended to earth, God stepped down from heaven to earth. And that's how we're able to, of course, celebrate Christmas. Celebrating this gift of Jesus Christ coming down to earth, this Savior to humanity. And so James is saying God arranges for his gifts, his perfect gifts, to come down to his designated place, his designated place of delivery or destination. And this is where the Christian life begins, in a gift from God. Isn't that good news? The Christian life begins with a gift. This is Jesus. The Bible says that he is the, the, the brightness of God's glory. He is the perfect uh, priest. He is the good shepherd. He is the, the king. He is the perfect prophet. And this whole theme of, of gifts coming down is found throughout Scripture. In fact, when we read about the angelic activity that took place in the Gospels, uh, we, we read about how they were sent as messengers from heaven to come down and often to bring announcements that something was about to, to happen. And of course, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and said that you're going to be, uh, you're going to be with child. Uh, in other words, angels came down. On one occasion in the Gospels, it says at a certain season, uh, angels went down into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever got in there first was healed of whatever disease that they had in their body. The angels came down. And it doesn't stop there. We know the gospel story. Jesus uh, came down. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived and he died. And then he rose up from the, ga the grave. And then he ascended to heaven. And then Jesus, just before he went, he, he said this, that another is coming. That another gift was coming to earth. You're, in other words, you're not going to be left like orphans. You're not going to be left on your own. That if he ascended, that the Holy Spirit would descend. The Holy Spirit came down upon the early church in Acts 2. And the book of Acts really tells us the whole story about how the Holy Spirit kept on coming and kept on falling on the people. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is a gift. Amen? And so we see this, this theme running throughout the Scriptures, throughout the New Testament. God's best gifts come from above. Acts 10.45 says this, As they preached, another gift from above, there it is again, was poured out upon many of their hearers, and that was the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible tells us that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, we've had our sins forgiven. We've received the promise of eternal life. We've been singing about that just now. But also we've received this seal guaranteeing our inheritance. That is the Holy Spirit. Not only that, we'll be, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And so much so that, of course, it's so important because we can't even live the Christian life without this gift of the Holy Spirit. And later on, we read about how certain spiritual gifts of the Spirit have been distributed to the church and been given to each one of us uh, to, to help us in the work of ministry. And so what does this all mean? Why do we emphasize this? Because it's not from the lowest point 
but from the highest points that the best things in the world always come. It's not the things that come to you from the earth, perhaps, that will fill the void in your life, but the things that come to you from heaven. That is Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit. The material things of this life will not satisfy the soul like the spiritual gifts that come from above. But how often we, of course, we go after the things of the earth and we go after the things of the world thinking that they will satisfy. God wants us to realize that the best things come from God above. True happiness comes from God above. True joy only comes from God above. In other words, you can't call any, uh, you know, uh, any gift that comes to you from below the best gift because it's sometimes you know, mixed in with sometimes some of the evil things that go on on the earth. Moving on here in the scriptures, we're going from six, verse 16 through to 18. James moves on in these verses and he refers to the giver of good and perfect gifts as the father of lights. The Father of Lights. This is the only time in the Bible that um, God is actually referred to by this name, the Father of Lights. It's found in no other place in Scripture. It's a very unique uh, portion of Scripture. The Father of Lights gives us this idea that God is a Father who is an, has an infinite supply of great gifts. Amen? Rare gifts, valuable gifts, precious gifts. And so if you are one of his children, if you are a son or daughter of God today, you are someone who has received at least one of these good and perfect gifts. And if there's one thing that this scripture teaches us here in James, it's, it's having this proper view of the Father. And this is so important for, for us in our Christian life because your view of God and your view of the Father will shape the rest of your Christian life. In other words, if you think wrong things about God, it's going to shape the way you live. What you believe about God will shape how you live and how you act. And so it's, James is very intent on, on, on capturing this name about the Father of lights. First of all, he is a father. He is not a father who cannot be approached with our problems. He is not a father who is far away, who is uninvolved in the lives of his children. He is an intimate father who wants to be involved in your life. In the lives of his children, Jesus said these words, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Isn't that a great scripture? Shows that God wants us you know, to ask things of him. Matthew 7.11 is the verse for that. In other words, what it says is, as hard as we might try to give our children for those who've got children, you'll know, you'll know what this feels like. As much as we try uh, to give our children the, the, the gifts that we think that they need, maybe give them things that we don't need sometimes, but our Heavenly Father far surpasses our best efforts. That's what this scripture is saying. He is the best Father we could ever ask for. He knows how and when to supply all of our needs, and He knows how to look after us. Isn't that good? And some of us even in this season, really need to hear this and allow God to reconstruct and rewire our minds about the things that we've thought about God because sometimes our revelation of God as Father may not actually be true for everybody here. Sometimes our understanding of God is actually being more shaped by our experiences or bad negative experiences in life. 
He is the father of lights. What else does this mean? Well, God is the one who also created light in the first place, didn't he? God is the one who created both natural light, and of course, he has natural light and spiritual light. All these things come from him, the father of lights. And so God is the father of the heavenly lights. In the beginning, in Genesis, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Then we are told uh, God made two great lights, that the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern, govern the night. That's Genesis 1.16. And to, so, to say that he is the father of lights is to say that he is the father of all creation. Then the writer of, of Genesis immediately adds these small but important words. Oh yeah, and he also made the stars. <laughs> With no effort at all, God actually created this whole vast expanse of stars showing in the heavens. And so they are created by him for the good of all man. And so God commanded, bear light by day and by night. They obey the Father. God created every season. He created the summer and winter, autumn and spring. They all point to the living God as creator. In fact, the psalmist kept on going, about, going on about this all the time. It's found in Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. He is the Father of the sun, moon, and the stars. And they all came about by his word. The lights of, of the universe all reveal the creator, it says that the Psalms, uh, Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, one of the songs that we were singing today, Come Let Us Worship, uh, about a year ago or so, I remember when I was putting that song together, I had this melody and I was, can, couldn't stop thinking about creation. I had this melody and it was the chorus that came, uh, came first and then the verses and the bridge and later, all that stuff later on. But I kept on thinking. I was on taking my boys to school and I couldn't stop thinking about this whole theme of creation and thinking about, you know, God's nature, thinking about who he is and what he's done. God is beautiful in nature, but also beautiful in everything that he has created. Every one of us is a sign of his creation of his beautiful creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. And so when we consider everything that he has done, when we just consider how he has made us and looked at the whole of creation, what else can we do but worship God for who he is, for who he really is, for all that he is worth? Not necessarily worshiping creation, but actually worshiping God, the creator. That's when people can go wrong. When we start to worship the creation instead of the creator, we worship the Creator God for all that He is worth. And you know, even the, 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 the best of man's achievements don't even come close to God. For us today, we can fly in a plane, uh, you know, in a few hours and go from one continent to another. Men have even landed on the moon and walked on the moon and uh, said this is a, a marvelous achievement for mankind. But I wonder if you have ever just, in, in the middle of the night, have ever kind of laid down on a field or laid on the, the, the back of a mountainside in the night and just looked up at the expanse. Has anybody ever done that before? And you see all the lights that God has created. And yet we're told today by scientists that the farthest object that we can see is claimed to be millions of light years away. And so these heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars, as, and the planets, as brilliant and as awesome as they are, they, they are dim and feeble in comparison with God, the Father of lights. 
Light speaks of purity. It speaks of holiness. In fact, uh, 1 John 1.5 says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Light in scriptures is really symbolic of knowledge. It, it is symbolic of purity and happiness. God is represented as light. God is the one who brings light into your world. Amen? God's own son, Jesus Christ, came as the light of the world into a world of darkness. But then James moves further on, expressing that God is the father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I love this part of the scripture. God has no variation or shadow in him. In other words, if we could fully look on God, there would be no shadow. There would be nothing hidden. There would be no dark side or hidden part to God. This is because God does not change. He is not fickle. He, he remains the same. We can change. Man may change. But God never changes. He is unchanging. We are the ones who are fickle. He is light. We were conceived in darkness. He is perfect and we are flawed. We are the ones, of course, that, that turn from God. But isn't it wonderful that even in the midst of all of our changing and all of our turning and our mistakes and failures, he's the one that doesn't move. He's the one that doesn't change. He is the one who is fully consistent. We never have to question whether God loves us. Why? Because he is fully unchanging. But in the world that we live, you and I will know that we are surrounded by these shifting shadows. All around us we see changes. Changes always around us. Day turns into night. Seasons change. Music changes. Anybody notice that? Music changes. And then sooner or later comes back around again 20 years later. The same with fashion and style. Fashion and style changes. But God never changes. We live, though, in a changing society, a society that, that says, if you don't like yourself, change. If you don't like your job, change. If you don't like your church, change. If you don't like your God, change. Changing beliefs, changing ideologies, changing attitudes all the time. But praise God, James says, God never changes. He says, I am the Lord, I change not. There is no shadow of turning in him. It's like the great hymn that we sometimes sing here. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. All thou hast made, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto thee. God is always the same. In every season of the year, in every age, every century, there is no change in his character. There's no change in his purposes and his plans. What God was before the world began, he is now and he will always be. And so James then comes to our final verse in verse 18 and he says this, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. What's important to James is this, is that it's God's intention to bring people into contact with the word of truth. That phrase refers uh, number, about four times in the message of the gospel in the New Testament. But why is this important? Because the people that James is talking to have started to believe in other words. They've started to believe in different other theories, false ideas about God, picked up some of the things that the crowd are saying, perhaps maybe their version of the newspapers back then, other theories and attitudes about God, anything but the good news of the gospel and Jesus Christ. In other words, these shifting shadows. 
But God has this goal that we would meet the word of truth. He wants to perform a revolution in our thinking about God. And so, if there are good and perfect gifts, there also must be bad gifts that sometimes we come across in our life. And if there are bad gifts, there must also be a giver of bad gifts. Satan is ultimately the giver of every bad and evil gift. The Bible calls him the father of lies. God never lies at all, but in the Bible it talks about how Satan is the father of lies. You remember in the Garden of Eden in the beginning that Satan as the father of lies uh, led Eve to question the motives and the goodness of God. You remember that time? She was led away from the creator, from the giver. Satan often seeks to try and change our ideas about God. He wants to get into your head. See, what was really happening underneath all of that temptation that Adam and Eve were experiencing with trying to get them to eat that apple on the tree, Satan was trying to sow doubt about who God is, that God was actually wanting to withhold from them, that God was not actually wanting to give Adam and Eve his best, that he wasn't really wanting to bless them. And you see, Satan knows that if he can just get us to question who God is, he gets a victory. So he sold them a lie. What did he say? He said, oh, God only told you to eat from that tree because he knows once you do. Well, he said, oh, God not, told you not to eat from that tree because he knows once you do, you'll become like him and become a rival to him. Satan is always trying to sow doubt in our minds about God. He is intent on selling us lives to throw us off. He tries to deceive us by false advertising, saying, try this. You know, this will satisfy your need. This is what you need. Trying to pull us in, trying to draw us away, playing on our weaknesses. And this is why James comes across and says, this is why you need the word of truth. You need to know the truth about God for who he really is. Because these gifts come from down from above. And so James ends by highlighting, you know, that let your minds be filled with the truth about God. Amen? That he is the father of lights. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He loves us and he wants the best for us. Your difficulties, your trials, the challenges that you're going through are just testing your faith. But be assured of this, that God has not changed. And he is not finished with you yet. And so throughout this season, my encouragement to, to every one of us, to myself and to us all, is in the midst of all the giving, in the midst of all the receiving and the fun and the food, let's be reminded about God's best gifts. Let's be reminded about these gifts that come from above. What are they? This gift of Jesus Christ. It's the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ brings. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit. Being thankful, of course, for the work that he has done in our life. Being thankful for what he is doing now, despite whatever maybe you're, you're going through at the moment. But also being thankful for what he is about to do. We've got a, a new year just right around the corner. Who knows what God wants to do? And, and, and use you in, in, and, and distribute to you for this coming year. And so my encouragement to you, all of you today is that let this be your prayer during this season. That Jesus Christ... The best gift that we have ever received, let him be the center of this season. In your thoughts, in your words, in your deeds, and everything that you're, you're doing through this season, let him be the center. 
so that he, the light of the world, would be the one who is seen, that he's, his name would be lifted high, his name would be glorified. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words of truth from James. We thank you that you are the Father of lights. You are the one who brings light into our world. And for those here today who may be going through a, a, tough, a difficult time, loneliness, despair, challenges, and trials, Father, we pray you would bring light into their world. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the light of the world that came into a world of darkness. And Lord, we ask you today that you would help us be your shining lights in this season. Help us be your shining lights in, in the workplace, in the places that you've positioned us, sharing your good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to point people to Jesus Christ in this season. And everyone said together,